Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia. 107.5 The Game on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence. And welcome in. Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on The Game. Tyler West and Chris along with you on this Thursday morning. Thank you once again to Riley Whitesides from Gamecock Volleyball for hanging out with us for today's edition of the Guard of Trust Hour. I'll have that up shortly for you on the 107.5 The Game podcasting page. Uh, Chris, were you able to hear that conversation? There we go. Unfortunately, I didn't, Tyler. Didn't get to hear any of it this time. Busy oh. doing some other things. Which is fair. It's I, busy time. You know, one one thing that I was doing for much of the uh, hour, watching the Furman game from last week. Okay, getting, getting some tape. A little scouting, they, Furman, uh, Furman, Tennessee Tech. They, they, they handled Tennessee Tech pretty well. They did, although I have some takes from the game Ooh. that maybe... Maybe a little bit surprising. We'll we'll, uh, we'll certainly dive into that. Uh, if you are not familiar, Riley Whiteside is uh, actually the girlfriend of Kai Kroger. I didn't know that. Um, we talked about that a little bit. Uh, next time you or Wes get to talk to Kai Kroger, please bring up the fact that she beat him fifteen sets to nothing when he played volleyball with her. Not surprised. So not surprised. <laughs> fifteen. He couldn't even take one. Couldn't even take one. It was she one did, on she, one. She did not let up. Apparently. It was a one-on-one volleyball match? I, I believe so. Okay. And she just beat him down. Yeah. I was actually telling uh, our friend Michael over at Integrated Media the other day, Michael Gettys, we were over at his Pro Swing doing our podcast, Pro Swing Columbia, and was telling him about Kai Kroger and how good he is at golf. Yeah. Yeah, apparently, we talked about that too. Apparently a great golfer. Kai good at everything. I and, feel like uh, that's a pretty common theme for football players of like playing golf. And maybe yeah, it's just because yeah. it's like – a complete 180 from what you usually do. It's still a sport, obviously, but, like, you know, you go from football with, like, running into each other and, you know, hitting and all that kind of stuff to golf where it's just a lot more laid back and chill. It is. Lots of good golfers on the team. I mean, Spencer Rattler's one. We've talked to Stone Blanton. There's a bunch, and people are they're going to get mad if I leave out. But Kai has been pointed to as, as perhaps the best one. So I'd, li- I'd like to see him swing in person uh, for sure. Uh, but, yeah, I, I was diving in, Tyler, to Furman and Tennessee Tech this morning. Of course, Furman, Gamecocks opponent for a now sold-out yes, contest inside very excited. Williams-Brice Stadium, which is pretty cool. Uh, from what I've heard, the administration is anticipating numerous sellouts this year for home games, seven home games. Of course, four of them are in November, mm-hmm. so, so still some time. I, I wasn't sure if this would be one. Uh, but it is the first announced one, and probably going to be more announcements in the future on that. But uh, there's some pretty cool ticket promotions, I know, uh, for this game as well. So that one is sold out. But, yeah, diving into Furman, 
uh, this morning. Really interesting game uh, against Tennessee Tech. The, the funny thing is, watching the first half of the game, Tennessee Tech, I would argue, kind of outplayed Furman as mm. far as yardage gained and, yep. and things like that, just passing the eye test. But they had something that Shane Beamer talked about yesterday, multiple turnovers. Yes. They, uh, they threw a pick. Uh, they had a fumble on a third down play. Um, had some other almost picks. Uh, they gave up a long punt return. So hmm. there there were some issues there that had them down 21-10, to 10, and then Furman ended up walking away with the game in the second half. But uh, Tennessee Tech moved the ball some in the first half. The story was just – it really was the turnovers, and Tennessee Tech ended up with six of them in the game. And they led the FCS a season ago with 29 takeaways. So certainly something to uh, watch out for on Saturday night. And, again, people get on on us for disrespecting that kind of team. But they're going to come in here motivated and uh, ready to give South Carolina all they can handle. They went on the road to Clemson last year and made it more competitive than I think a lot of people thought. Ended up outgaining the Tigers on the roads there. So they're not going to be intimidated by the environment of – Will he be on Saturday night? No, and, you know, I looked at a couple of the zoom outs um, from the broadcast, and I think it was the Tennessee Tech side. They, they don't travel as well. Not many fans there. Uh, but, yeah, they, this is a veteran team. Yeah, um, 18 of 22 starters returned. Yeah, lots of veterans, and, and Beamer pointing out lots of juniors, seniors, grad guys on this team. And, um you know, the, the book on them, talking to some folks around college football, is they're, they're just real well coached. You know, they're not going to beat themselves a lot. Um, and I know we'll get into some more, you know, observation, schematic things on them later. But, you know, Tyler, one of the biggest differences typically in uh, in FCS versus FBS, Shadur Sanders from Colorado was talking about this, right? Mm-hmm. Moving from Jackson State to Colorado. He said, he pointed out, and I agree, the line of scrimmage is normally the biggest difference. Right, like there are more skilled guys at the FBS level. The quarterbacks are typically more skilled, right? But it's kind of like wide receivers, DBs, a little bit more of a dime a dozen. You see a lot of those at the NFL level, for instance. And you see guys like, you know, Juice Wells that can make the FCS to SEC jump. You find those guys at the FCS level. A lot of the times what you see is that the line of scrimmage is oftentimes maybe the biggest difference. You know, team speed, you see that one a lot. Went and looked at Furman, though. You know, they they have some size. This isn't a team. You don't need to think of this as a team that's going to come in and the offensive linemen are all 6'1", 270, right? Uh, That's not the case. In fact, offensive line, you know, left to right, their guys are 6'3", and 6'4", and they're in the 280s, the mid to upper 280s. But on the right side, the right guard, 6'3", 295. The right tackle, Fred Norman Jr., 6'7", 342. The biggest player, according to the broadcast from ESPN, biggest player in Furman history, the big boy. That's believable. So so they've got some size. And so, like, is this a better matchup for South Carolina from a line of scrimmage standpoint? Absolutely. Like, it's what the doctor ordered in terms of you are looking to get back on track, have a better performance, maybe try out, not try out, but maybe, um, audit, you know, debut. That's a better word. Debut some different combinations, whether it's the offensive line, do mm. we see some tweaks on the defensive line? This is a better week to do it than Georgia, right? It is. It's a better week it, to 
try to audition that in game one against North Carolina. It doesn't mean it'll be easy, Sure, but this is well, kind of what they need. And, you know, if South Carolina goes into this game and the offensive line does not give up any sacks over the course of the four quarters on Saturday night, you're not going to come away and say, wow, we fixed all the issues on the <laughs> offensive line. You're, you're going to feel better about it. And that gives you some confidence going into a game like Georgia, which is one of the things that you can glean from this game is, okay, let's at least get the confidence of these guys back up um, with a team that you should technically on paper be better than and hopefully can beat in a you know more convincing fashion um, and get yourself, get yourself prepared for the onslaught of SEC play coming up. I think the concern about that is um, you're talking about or we're talking about this youth movement for South Carolina, and then on the other hand, we're talking about a veteran football team that I I don't really think is going to go into this game and be scared by any no, means. Not at all. So, you know, that there's certain there's certain things about being a uh, a veteran college football player that's been through the battles that you know this group has played at Clemson. Um, you know, they're not going to be intimidated. They're going to feel like they know the little intricacies that can give you a little edge. Um, you know, if you're South Carolina, you should be, in most cases, bigger. You should be, um, you know, more athletic. But you're not going to face a team that's going to lay down. So I think this this is a game, if South Carolina goes in and, and plays pretty well as far as what they're capable of, then, yeah, they should win. Um, you know, and it shouldn't be entirely close. But if they go in there turn the ball over, uh, continue to allow negative plays on offense, whether it's TFLs or sacks, then you're going to be in a situation where you could be in one of those where everybody's looking around midway through the third quarter. And team teams can now, guess what? You can milk mm-hmm. this clock better yep. than you ever could have before. If this is a seven-point game going into the fourth quarter, are we surprised by that? Yeah. You'd be surprised if it's a seven-point game going into the fourth quarter. Yeah, I don't, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I'm not saying I'd be sitting there shocked. If I would. Well, there's the difference. I'm, I'm getting into semantics. I I wouldn't be shocked, right? Like I wouldn't be shocked, but I would be surprised. I think there's it, a difference. It, in that. It's not like, a, that should not it, happen. It's not an oh my god, I can't believe this is happening. It's like. Well, I didn't think this was going to happen, but I can see how it did. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've been in Williams Bryce where Navy and Wofford, and I, I watched the Citadel win a game against South Carolina. Like I've I've seen it. Yeah. Like Louisiana Tech, you know, the, the South Carolina should have lost that game. Like I, I've seen that, you know, and so I, it's it's like not a huge shock especially look i mean there are many issues that south carolina has to clean up from week one i've said many times they've they've got to play well to win this game you can't sleepwalk through this game or have a bad performance or like west said you can't go up there and look awful on the line of scrimmage and give up a bunch of negative plays and expect to win the game but this is not a game that should be in doubt when you're going into the fourth quarter even with the shortened clock and everything I just, I, I still would be, I would have some level of surprise if it gets in the fourth quarter, and Furman's got the football and down, and they're down a score. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's fair. I, um, you know, I, I really, I honestly don't know what to expect this week. I, I think you should. I, I would think based on Rattler's ability alone and the the fact South Carolina's receivers should be able to separate and. 
he's been so dialed in. They should be, you know, we, we they were a pretty explosive team even on, on, with all the issues on this past Saturday. So there should be a lot of opportunities for big explosive plays on offense this week as well. That should carry you to a win. I'm also more interested in finding out how do they win. Do we see them be able to establish some sense of a, a rushing attack? Is it something they can build off of? Again, that doesn't mean it's fixed. Sure. But I, I believe in the value of seeing something go right and knowing that you've done it and just the mental um, aspect of, okay, we this is what it looks like when we do it right, even if it's against a quote-unquote outmatched opponent. But I don't, I don't know if Furman is going to be that outmatched to where it means nothing at all if you can go out there and do it. Another little quirk to look forward to Saturday night, the increasing chance of rain as well as the forecast looking more and more likely that rain is going to play some kind of factor on Saturday, uh, especially if it comes in as the game is going on, then suddenly you're limiting your ability throwing the ball even more. Yeah, you know, you, you could. I um, I think obviously that depends on how how much it rains and all that stuff as well. You see, team. You know, I think teams more and more seem equipped to to be able to throw the ball to an extent when it's not just a if it's not just a complete washout. In the you know, as far as the rain goes, there's that thing of well, the offensive guys know where they're going, the defensive guys don't as far as running routes and trying to cover people. So, um, you know, we'll we'll see what happens there. I think right now, what fifty percent chance of rain. You remember the uh, the monsoon game, the crazy Missouri game. I do. Let, both teams are letting it fly a little bit in that game. Skarnekia, Drew Locke, mm-hmm. throwing the ball. I don't, I don't know. Remember Drew, Drew Locke, Locke did throw one to He threw it right Green. to Sherrod Green. So. I'm not sure. Maybe he couldn't see in the rain or something. But, yeah, that, that was a wild game. By the way, guys, FCS-FBS matchups here shortly. I got a trivia question for y'all. want to see if you can get it. Okay. Uh, you want to hit that up next? Yep. All right. We'll do that coming back. You're listening to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on The Game. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia, 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence. Welcome back in. Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on The Game. Thursday morning, Tyler West and Chris along with you. 
getting you set for the Gamecocks and the Paladins coming up Saturday night, 7.30 right here on the game. Pre-game coverage locally here on 107.5 The Game starts at 2.30 with Gamecocks Game Day. Myself and Terry Ford broadcasting live out at Sound and Images just outside of Williams-Rice Stadium from 2.30 until 4.30. And at 4.30 is when the network coverage kicks in, kicks in both here locally at 107.5 The Game as well as our Myrtle Beach affiliate 100.3 The Game. And of course, kickoff coming up Saturday night at 7 o'clock. This will actually be, or 7.30, this will actually be a 7.30 kickoff, not the like 7.45, 7.50 we had this past weekend on, you know, ABC. A real-life 7.30 A real-life 7.30 kickoff. Maybe cool. like 7.32, but close enough. Oh, see, nope. <laughs> I'm, I'm here for it. I uh, I was here for the 7.44 kickoff, too, though, because it was, man, that was an atmosphere. Can't help but feel bad for Gamecock fans who were there because y'all uh, y'all showed out. So we'll see if it can be a better one on this Saturday Sellout, too. Sellout, so. yep. First game of the year at home. It's crazy to think that this was, and I know uh, Beamer brought this up the other day, the last time they played at home was the Tennessee game. Like That feels like a lifetime ago at this point. So ago. much has happened. Yeah, it was ages ago. But, uh, again, kudos to Gamecock Nation, even with the loss last week. Um, not a marquee opponent this week, obviously, but um, selling this thing out, going to be a great atmosphere Working on a list on Gamecock Central. Already got a little note on there about a five-star who will be on campus. That's right. Y'all can uh, go to Gamecock Central, though, and figure that out. Uh, Chris, you said you had some interesting information regarding FCS teams versus FBS teams. So from 2013 to 2022, three SEC teams have lost to an FCS opponent. Okay. Can you guys name... Just the bait. If you can name the games, I'll be super impressed. You can go home for the day. Okay. Um, right? But if you can name just the three SEC teams that have lost to an FCS opponent in that time span, uh, we will play the clap sound for you okay, if you on. can get it. Let, let me get the clap sound effect ready to go. Okay. Now, what, while you're thinking about the, it, uh, what's the timing again? The 2013 season to the 2022 season. So, about 10 years, 10 seasons, three SEC teams have lost to FCS opponents. Name the well, SEC South schools. Carolina. What was the game? The Citadel. Okay. What was the year? That was uh, 2015. What was the score? I'm just kidding. I'm not going to keep asking questions. Good job, Wes. Go. Wes got one. Well, that was um, that was an easy <laughs> you one. You should know that one. I uh, I know Vanderbilt has. That is correct, Tyler. Um, very good. Was it East Tennessee State? Oh, very nice, Tyler. East Tennessee State. West with the real clap. East Tennessee State did indeed beat Vanderbilt. That was in the 2021 season. Ooh, 23 to 3. I remember yeah, that was game. That game. was a rough one for the Commodores. Can you imagine that was, sitting through that game? That was Ugh. at the height of when Wes and I were just bagging on Vandy, Vandy haters on, on a weekly basis. We backed off a little bit. 2 0. 2 Vanderbilt. All right, one I, more. Y'all, honestly, y'all really should get this one. Tyler, I, I feel good now with the Vanderbilt pool. Yeah. I feel like y'all are going to get this one. All right, let me think here. Um, I think Wes. I, I did not cheat. I did not cheat. I, okay, I it's coming to his head, though. Yeah. Yeah, I but I it. just looked through the list of just SEC. Is it Texas A&M? Or no? No, I don't no, think so. Not A&M. No, no they, they lost to App, didn't they? They yeah. lost to App. They that was the big apps, upset uh, for them. App's in the fun belt now. They yeah, are. yeah, yeah. Um, don't call if you're an App State fan. I'm not saying you're <laughs> oh, FCS. Oh, oh. You said in the past 10 years, right? 
2013 is the starting point. Georgia Southern and Florida. That's right. Oh, Will Muschamp, yeah, well, yeah. 26 to 23. Georgia Southern. <laughs> now, uh, Tyler, you're the you're our stat resident stat guy, so make sure on this. Tyler knew the score, but yeah, he did know the score, so you'll probably know this. Didn't Georgia Southern not attempt a pass in that game? They, or they ran, didn't complete a pass. They ran the ball the entire game. Now yeah. that was the height of them running the triple option. That was also the famous game, and this was when Muschamp was the Florida mm-hmm. coach of. The two Florida guys blocking each other at the same time. Yes, that was yeah. phenomenal. And they like, I was like, did you not look up and see you're wearing the same uniform? <laughs> but yes, I enjoyed that one. Minor details there. Yeah. So y'all, y'all got all three. Congratulations. Very good job. One more round of applause. Yep. So, in all seriousness, you know, if you're South Carolina, I'll go back to what I said earlier. This, this is a game. That you you gotta win. We don't like to use the must win, right? Sure, but I hate that phrase. But you can't. But how how do we balance that with the fact that they they've got to <laughs> they've got to win this game? You know, I mean, when you look at the kind of the goals of the season. Oh, look, the Gamecocks. I've had some people hit me up, and they they have already appeared to. Oh, looks like it's going to be a long season. And and yes, it might. It might. If they don't get these things that were such a problem in game one corrected, there are also a few things very hidden because of how the game went that look like they could be better. Spencer Rattler is one of them, and that's a big one because that's your quarterback, right? That, that's We all, if we're going to make a bold proclamation that the offensive line is going to be that bad all season, could we also say that Spencer Rattler might be that good all season? You know, possibly. So the biggest thing you got to do I know I'm jumping all around. You've you've got to make sure that you get back on track on the lines of scrimmage. You got to find a combination that's workable up front. I don't think you can flush the rest of the season based on what we saw in game one. Are there problems? Yes. Are there big ones? Yes. There are problems that if you don't get them fixed in a pretty meaningful way, are going to stay with you the rest of the year. But you, you got to take this game, a game that you should win, a game that's very winnable, and you've got to apply them and make sure they work for this game, and then hope they work going forward as well. Well, this is a game, and we talked about it earlier, that you know, you want to come out feeling better about where you're at. Now, again, if they go out there and give up no sacks, we're going to suddenly say that the offensive line is fixed? No, not by any means, but at least gives confidence to the guys playing on the O-line that they can do what their job is asking them to do. The one thing you don't want coming away from this game is feeling worse about where you're at. If you go out there and give up another six, seven sacks and, you know, uh, Furman runs the ball for 220 yards and we're right back in the same place where a week ago, probably feeling even worse. I'd say a good bit worse. Gamecock <laughs> fans are going to be pr- pretty upset, I-, I think. And, you know, this this is a game where you go into it and I, I think this is the type of game a lot of teams played for week one. So I, I think part of kind of not putting too much stock into what happened last week while also acknowledging some issues were exposed, look look at the other teams that played, I don't want to say real opponents, but look at the other teams that played either actual in-conference games or played marquee out-of-conference Power 5 matchups. Uh, I mean... Florida, some of their stuff got ex- you know exposed in week one. Clemson, their flaws got exposed in week one. South Carolina, their flaws got exposed. LSU, their flaws got so when you're tested week one, I mean, it ain't easy. So it- is some of what we saw correctable? 
some of what we saw if South Carolina would have played an FCS in week one and just took their, you know, 45 to 21 win and we said, oh, man, this feels like an issue, but it's fixable, then it would be a completely different story. But when you play these marquee games like this, then uh, all your your issues are already exposed for everybody to see. So I, I think for South Carolina, and there there is some good, not that you take ever take the loss over the win, there is some good in knowing right off the bat where you are. And So this was a measuring stick game for them. You maybe don't like the answer, but you kind of have a feel for, all right, we got to make major changes here, or in other cases it may be, hey, we just need to tweak a couple of things. But I think for South Carolina, it, um, it, it, would, be, it would be a much different conversation this week if they had just played a non-marquee opponent and just taken their win and uh, then moved on to week two. Furman, by the way, last week against Tennessee Tech, one sack for three yards. So take, take that what you will. I mean, it may, may not mean anything, but it's not a team that Tennessee Tech did have to pass the ball a good bit. Their offense kind of gets the ball out more quickly. It's not like Furman had six or seven sacks in that setting against Tennessee Tech. So we'll see. But, again, despite Furman having pretty good size on their lines, and they're obviously a well-coached, solid team, they could present some problems, this is a game that you you should and must get back on track on the lines of scrimmage. Speaking of the O-line, we did hear from the coordinators yesterday. Dow Loggins talked about the struggles they had up front and if any changes are coming to that front for Saturday night's game. You'll hear from that next. You're listening to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs on the game. We made reference to last week about there were still some things open, and obviously when you play that way, um, no one was happy with it. Um, starting with myself and Coach Beamer and Coach Teasley, it wasn't good enough. Um, the game starting one up front, and we didn't do enough up, up you know, obviously up front to help us. And um, we're going to continue to work through things. We're going to put the best five out there, and uh, we got as coaches, we got to do a better job coaching them up and helping them um, different ways that way. But uh, that is definitely a uh, that thing that it that whole problem from last week is being addressed as we go, and it, it'll be fluid. It's, there's if it was an easy easy thing, then it would it would it wouldn't have happened last week. But this is a, it's going to be a process. Welcome back in Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game that was the voice of Gamecock's offensive coordinator Dow Loggins yesterday talking to the media about the issues on the offensive line. And he said all the right things there. You know, it's not what they expected. They're going to have to coach them up and. Hopefully, we see something that gives us uh, good feelings going forward. Again, you're not going to answer all your questions on Saturday night because it's a different level of competition that you're going up against. Again, no disrespect to Furman, but I don't think it's going to tell us everything that we're going to need to know ahead of the Georgia game, but at least hopefully come out of it feeling better than what you did last Saturday night. Yeah, Dowell Loggins and Beamer and West pointed this out, uh, I think, yesterday. They had kind of set the stage for hey, there's some legitimate questions, you know, on the offensive side of the football and other spots too. But since we're the offense has kind of dominated this conversation, the offensive line's dominated this conversation. So Loggins also, you know, after the game, is kind of doubling down is probably not the right term, Wes, but he's he's not saying what you hear from some coaches. You know, you hear some coaches, they have a terrible game, they get up at the podium, and they say, we'll get it fixed. You know, you hear that a lot. Fans don't like that. We'll get it fixed. We'll get it corrected. And 
I think he did a really good job there of balancing. Not not that what he says in a press conference is going to make the team play better. It's not. Um, but I do think to some extent what you say, your messaging matters um, to fans that were very frustrated by the first game performance. And so I thought Loggins did a really good job of striking that balance and walking that line between showing some confidence that they can get some things turned around, describing what the efforts are like to get it turned around, but also saying, hey, it wasn't good enough, and this thing is going to be an ongoing process, right? Like, if South Carolina had the offensive line figured out, I think we would have seen uh, a more set starting five going into the game. It wouldn't have been as in question, and then obviously they would have played better. You don't go from, you know, 18 disrupted plays was a stat he gave, nine sacks, a whole bunch of hits and pressures. You don't go from that to you get into SEC play and you're out there just stonewalling everybody, right? It, there's going to be a process, but they have to get this thing better. They have to get it this to a workable place and a, and a good solution. Yeah, I mean, I've said it multiple times now. The signs were there. Not, not that there were going to be nine sacks, and no way am I saying that. I know there's levels to everything, but the signs of potential struggles were there. And I'll say it again, man, I think it's a catch-22 I, to, in order to be good on the offensive line, you have to be able to play those same five guys at the same five spots and let them gel together. Can you replace one guy out of the five and kind of slide them in or tweak some things and, and maybe keep rolling? Yeah, I, I think you can. But when you make wholesale changes, which I, I think we could see this weekend, frankly, based on rumblings, then you almost start over. So, but... But can you watch what we saw Saturday and say, oh, we, we can't make changes here? Uh, you know, are we going to be hard-headed and, and just let the guys roll back out there? Um, you know, they did try different combinations during the game. None of them really seemed to, like, stick or, or work, I, I feel like. The loss of Case and Henry, obviously, is a big one. I, I don't think anybody was expecting or, or putting unreal, unrealistic expectations on Kaysen to come in and be a world beater right off the bat. But, I mean, as soon as he got healthy, he started pushing for that first-team job for a reason. I think you probably would have – I think if if they had just struggled but Henry was still healthy, you'd be like, hey, this, this is a young guy that they're high on, hasn't played a ton, he just needs reps. And uh, I don't know if you feel quite that way about that position right now. So who do we see move around – I do think you have some workable depth on the interior. Now, there's there's a reason that Nick G, Vershawn Lee, and Ja'Kai Moore won the starting positions. Now, you could be in a scenario where you're having to weaken one spot in order, I want to say fix, in order to give yourself a chance. Stabilize. Yes, at other spots. But that, that that opens up opportunities, man. That opens up an opportunity for a guy like Trey Jones, who actually opened camp working with the ones inside. Trey Ball, who we've said many times, South Carolina is very high on. You know, he, he's pretty technically advanced for a young player. Marky Anderson, once he gets back and gets healthy, I think he's in the mix somewhere. You In, in some ways, you're looking at that tackle spot, and you're like, man, we're – we're we're in a bad place here, but 
all hope is not lost. It's not one of those things where you just have no options. It's not one of those things where all your guys are hurt and you have nobody else you can try. I don't expect it to be fixed this week. It may not be fixed by week seven, but can can this thing slowly get better? Can it make progress as the year goes on? Could you even see a jump in progress this week from week one to week two? I, I think that's what you're hoping out there if you're a South Carolina fan, certainly if you're the coaching staff as well. Well, and the the reason, Wes, that the Case and Henry loss is so big, like anytime you lose a starter on the offensive line, or really at any position. I mean, it's a big deal. It's tough. And I am of the opinion that the only reason that that was a little bit more in flux going into game one was simply because Case and Henry just missed so much time this year. I think if he was healthy spring, summer, and preseason, remember, they opened preseason. Case and Henry is still 85%, according to Shane Beamer. I think if he was healthy the entire year, he probably would have been pretty entrenched as a starter I think that was the reason that it was a question and the staff feels like he's very capable um it could have been Wes that had he not gone down on what play four play five in that North Carolina game maybe he plays extremely well and that might help you in that game and then it would help you from the future now with him down you were in a spot where you're not just having to figure out okay we need to figure out left tackle right like that's Maybe another guard spot, too. But you might have exited that game saying, hey, Vershawn Lee and Nick G and Cason Henry played very well. Remember Dow Loggins' comments? He only seemed pretty happy with how Vershawn Lee and Nick Gargiulo performed. He, he kind of shouted out the individual while walking the line of, hey, we, we win and lose and we have success as a unit. But it's entirely possible that Cason Henry would have had a really good game. And so then you're just figuring out a spot or two. Now you're figuring out both tackle spots. And then you have to, as you said, Wes, potentially weaken one spot to, to stabilize or fix another. So Or, or two. Or two. So, so two. So now his injury is just so much more impactful, not because you're just losing one starter, but because now you have even more than one spot that you're trying to stabilize. So it becomes, it becomes more difficult. Jump over the defense real quick to wrap up today's edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Hear what Clayton White had to say. That's next. You're listening to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs on the game. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia, 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence. I mean, I definitely feel like it was a, as far as the first game against that kind of opponent, I thought their, their skilled players were talented and you know, tackling is always going to be a concern for every coach in America on game one. I, I would give it probably a C, uh, you know, a, a C, you know, C plus type thing based on some runs that did pop out that we kind of got them down. Those could have been 40 and 50 yard runs instead. They was 12. So to me, if those runs get out, it's definitely a poor performance. But I thought our guys tackled OK. You know, we can definitely improve. But it wasn't a lot of missed tackles out there. We're back in Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game. Tyler Weston, Chris, along with you. 
Boys of Clayton White yesterday talking to the media about missing tackles against North Carolina, one of many things that does need to be cleaned up this weekend against Furman. And again, it's, it's one of those areas where you're not going to get all your questions answered this weekend, but you hopefully come away from it feeling a little bit better than you did coming away from last week. Yeah, I uh, thought about this yesterday. I think on our podcast, I, I didn't really necessarily think missed tackles was in the top five of issues for South Carolina, especially with the context of it's week one. You don't really tackle people to the ground a ton in preseason camp anymore. You're trying to keep everybody healthy. Um, let's just say I've seen far worse outcomes in terms of tackling, but were there chances to get Drake May on the ground? Of course, Um you know, I'll, I'll lean on Will Helms a little bit on something. He always has a great analytics piece. I saw a tweet he just put out that, um, you know, maybe is a little bit of a preview of what he's got going on this week in his weekly column on Gamecock Central. But he said, you know, a lot of, a lot of times North Carolina had multiple guys in the backfield, um, you know, to, to hit Spencer Rattler, whereas South Carolina, when they did get pressure, it was more like one guy, you know, May's, dodging one guy which for somebody as athletic as Drake May um you know can he he does he does those things quite well so I, I think for for Carolina a lot of times getting pressure and then finishing plays in the backfield it's more about you need to have that interior pressure and that outside pressure to clean those things up and so I, I think for for them it was just North Carolina had so many hits and sacks on the quarterback because they had consistent pressure across the board. For South Carolina, it gets a little bit magnified when you miss Drake May because there, there were times North Carolina missed Spencer. But if you only if you have less opportunities in the backfield, it gets magnified when he makes you miss and, and gets the ball off and, and makes a big play. Some of those balls down the field, frankly, should have been knocked down by defensive backs. Yeah, PFF has, for what it's worth, the missed tackles by South Carolina in total at 11. That's not a horrible performance by any means. Um, and just for a little reference, you know, I went back and looked at a couple games last year. So the Clemson game last year, for instance, South Carolina missed nine tackles per PFF. The Tennessee game was actually something like six or seven. So this is not a great performance. You, you didn't look at it and say, man, they're just tremendous tackling. You, you can't give it that, which Clayton White said. I mean, what did he say, C, C plus, West? C, C plus, yeah. That, that kind of seems right. It, it, when, you were look, when you're looking at the issues, the missed tackles were not the most glaring thing defensively or in that football game as a whole. Weston, you said you had something for a preview for this weekend? Well, I have a history lesson history for you guys. History lesson, Okay. What is it's so weird to me whenever you look back and you kind of get before the 1950s mm-hmm. and so so South Carolina has played Furman only this will be the third time since 2010 before that they didn't play um, the last time they played was 1982 so it, first of all it's kind of weird to me these two teams have not played more than they have also I'm always amazed how. And it's, it tends to happen with, like, the smaller in-state schools. You look back, South Carolina used to play Furman all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't really necessarily – I don't know if it was joining a conference or or what it is that makes a football program take that next step. But you look back, these two teams used to borderline be rivals. They played their first ever game in 1892. And from 1892 to 19. 19- 
to the 1950s, actually, they played on a fairly regular basis. And if you go up until 1949, Furman or, or South Carolina was actually 15 and 19 against Furman. So they, they used to get the better of this. Um, you know, it's a pretty evenly matched thing. From 1950 on until now, South Carolina is 13 and 1. The one loss was a uh, Furman upset 28 to 23 in 1982. So this used to be a traditional in state rivalry. Now, obviously, they rarely play, and South Carolina has dominated it since 1950. I think uh, Tommy Moody would be proud of that report. Uh, that's what I was thinking. Hopefully. Oh, he's out there. I wonder if he. Wonder if he heard. Shout out to Tommy. Shout out Tommy. Um, but I'm I'm always curious. You look at just these these different series uh, paths, and you see, uh, wow, back when I mean, it's completely different brand of football. But for a long time, these teams played all the time, and it was pretty pretty equal, actually. Yeah, I'm sure Tommy could inform us of whatever underlying reason stopped that series from being played in 1982. But yeah, you know, given that they're an in-state school at the FCS level, you would think that it would be a little bit more of a regular rotation, which they've been doing here uh, here in the past 10 years, as you mentioned. And uh, hopefully that good streak for South Carolina can uh, continue going forward. Have y'all come up with your picks? Not that we're doing them today. That's tomorrow. <clears throat> Do picks on Friday. Mm -hmm. Are they in your head? Have you locked them? I have an idea of where I'm going. I actually have locked mine already, internally. Wes? I I have not. You have not locked buy or sell questions ready nope. for tomorrow? Nope. 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 Okay. Too looking, much going on today. Look, looking for more inspiration. Yes. As we count down the, the do you, hours. Do you remember do you remember the last time they played? Like not the year. Like, do you remember that game at no. all? Anything stand out in no. your head? Forty one to ten. Stefan Gilmore win. had a pick, I think. Uh, that stands out. Is that right? No. Okay. Steph was not on that team, I don't think. What year? 2014. Okay, he definitely wasn't on. I'm thinking of the one before. Thinking of 2010. Okay. That was actually uh, a 38-19 Furman. That was an uncomfortably yes. close game. <laughs> the Gilmore one? Yes. Yes, it was very uncomfortable. 38-19? Weird score. Weird Ugh. game. No, I I seriously don't remember. Like every now and then, there's a game this memory hold. I do not remember the 2014 Furman game, like that at the all. season opener. No, no, no. The A and M was season opener. Yeah, was that Cupcake Saturday in November? Uh, that was in October. Mm. Okay, Ooh, that's an odd one. Very strange. Dylan Thompson would have been your quarterback. Yep. Mm. Good offense. Yep. Not so good defense that year. Very true. We got one All more right. day to break it down, huh? Yeah, we'll preview plenty more about the Furman game coming up tomorrow on the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Halftime show with myself, somebody else from Gamecock Central, Colin Taylor, coming up right here on the game. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. 